Welcome to the Open Pew Podcast, your home for theology from the ground up. We're bringing you conversations with faith leaders, pastors, public theologians, and so much more. So if you want practical theology for daily living, this might be the show for you. Thank you, Bishop, uh, for joining us here. Uh, The first thing that I think I want to start out asking you for this podcast is just how it's a it's a question that's burning in everyone's minds. How do we pronounce your last name? <laughs> Alavito is um, how I say it. Um, what's interesting is, you know, when my grandparents came over from. I'm going to give you the long answer. You can edit it. <laughs> okay. When my parents came when my grandparents came over from Italy, it got anglicized to Alavito. But in the 80s, when everybody was reclaiming kind of you know identity. Most of my family became Olivetto's, but I was already in my career. And so I'm I'm still an Olivetto. There are several Olivetto's, but I go by Olivetto, Olivetto, Karen, hey, you. Um, <laughs> I, I'm here for you. Okay. Okay. Because I know, I know I didn't realize it until the last time we spoke that it was that you had, you were pronouncing it Alavito, and so I've been trying to be more conscious. It's it's it. okay. It's okay. Either way is correct. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and as I said before, I, well, I haven't said this yet. Um, today I am joined by Kayla Carico. She is a fellow Wesley alum. Uh, she is currently. You'll have to help me out with this. She's currently serving as a youth pastor in. Uh, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, uh, First United Methodist Church. Right. And so, Bishop, we asked you onto this podcast. I asked you onto this podcast today because while we spoke to you, I think back in October, if my emails are correct, a lot's happened. We kind of watch we watch things go kind of one way at general conference, and then we watch things in some places go a little bit of a different way at an annual conference. Everybody's kind of upset right now, understandably. And we just kind of want to get an idea of, like, what what type of grounding do we have right now? Where are we at and where where might we be going forward? That's a lot. That's a whole lot, I recognize. But Yeah, and you said we were going to start with levity. Wow. Uh, you just went right to the heart of things. You know, I, you know, I think what's been interesting is, you know, general conference, um, if we didn't see the death of the United Methodist Church as we've known it, on February 26th, we're seeing it now on on life support. Mm. And what has been most fascinating is to see the U.S. portion of the church and parts of parts of uh, central conferences rise up and say, this is not who we are. I think what happened in February was the United Methodist Church got shifted off its theological foundations. We are people of grace, grace and more grace. And grace got voted out and mm. and replacing uh, a very legalistic, punitive polity that is devoid of the grace that we've come to know Methodism. Grace has in the past informed our conf- how we move through conflict. And now it's very cut and dry. There's no there's nothing. Uh, there's n- no understanding of just resolution when it comes to LGBTQ people. Um, additionally, instead of using, you know, our theological task is to make sure we are looking at our theology in a way that's uh, contextual, that that keeps allowing the spirit of God to inform us. We 
we do theology through four lens, scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. Those things are always in conversation. And what, what happened at general conferences, we, we moved to a more biblical literalism that is not a part of our tradition. And I think that's what's, those things are what's uh, caused people to be so upset. I go to churches where they had no idea there were um, anti-LGBTQ parts of the discipline. They had no idea because they knew the United Methodist Church stood for this for this generous grace, this wide embrace, this big big tent theology. Uh, but but for them, the church that's nurtured them in discipleship, the church that's helped them come to know Jesus Christ, the church that has showered them in grace. Um, uh, really was uh, brought into question. And I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing, you know, throughout the United States, a real uprising. And I think it's exciting because we get to reclaim the best of the Methodist movement at this point. We're, we are best when we're a movement, not an institution. Yes, that is. So, so to talk for a moment, that is something that I noticed at annual conference this year here in Michigan was I think this was the first annual conference for me in Michigan that I realized how progressive leaning we are. Um, and so I learned things like, you know, Michigan was the first conference to put out a statement like the Michigan statement. The, the things we do with like our justice for our neighbors and things like that are like kind of leading the way in some regards. Um, and so last year, uh, to, to kind of look at annual conference last year versus annual conference this year. Annual conference last year, there were like maybe one or two rainbow pins around or rainbow flags. Um, I was getting commissioned and I was the only person up there with a rainbow flag on my, or mm -hmm. rainbow cross on my, um, my lapel. And, uh, this year, everywhere, uh, it's like a, it's like a unicorn came in and just started throwing up. Mm -hmm. uh, and, yeah. and I look up on the stage for commissioning and ordination and like every person, every, every other person has a, has a rainbow, a rainbow cross or ribbon or something somewhere on their person. Motivated a lot of people. After it did. It did. As, and I have to say as, as devastating as I found the judicial council uh, ruling about the traditionals plan in, in April, the good thing is it kept it's keeping people motivated. It's saying that this can't be who we are, who God is calling us to become. It can't be. It, it, the, when the Holy Spirit is involved, there's always a widening of community. There's never there's never uh, 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 segregation. There's ne I mean, it just keeps busting open the walls that we create, mm. and people don't want to be a part of something so closed. I think there, the other thing that's happened. Yeah, you know, if you look at marriage equality in the United States, prior to marriage equality becoming legal, that like 35 to 40 percent of the American population uh, believed that LGBTQ people were worthy of rights uh, for marriage equality. You know, here we are a few years later, and it's totally flipped on its heels. And now, you know, 65 to 70 percent of the American populace believe believe that LGBTQ people should have these rights. And you know what? We're the, we've been called the most American of uh, U.S. churches. And so it's not surprising that in such a short amount of time, the U.S. church has changed radically around LGBTQ issues. At your annual conference, there was like rainbows and pins everywhere. Um, 
I didn't actually make it to annual conference this year. I just didn't feel like I could stomach it because I live in Holston Conference. Um, that's where I work in the southeast. And this was the first year they actually got around to even talking about it, um, acknowledging that there was. So I don't know. Um, I think I just wonder how do LGBTQ people in these kind of conferences keep finding the motivation? And, you know, and, so, and some don't, right? I mean, some say I've been too abused. I've experienced too much trauma. I can no longer do this to myself. I will no longer allow the church to do this to myself. Um, I think for, for me, I'm going to tell you what motivates me. Um, this church, you know, helped me fall in love with God and taught me how to love God's people. And, um, and it, it was through grace. Yeah, you know, I, I was loved unconditionally, accepted unconditionally, and it helped me grow fully into the person God created me to be and allowed me to move into my call fully. Mm -hmm. I, I, there's no other spirituality. There's no other theology like that exists in the United Methodist Church. I wouldn't have a place to go. But more than that, I want to make sure I'm working to make sure that those generations that come after me can have what I had. Thanks. Mm -hmm. I think I've kind of found a, in myself a resolute stubbornness um, that I'm going to do ministry regardless. So. But I think that's important. Yeah. I think, you know what? This is what I tell, tell folks. Until the door closes on you, don't you close the door. Mm -hmm. Because we often sabotage ourselves. We often think, well, they don't want me. That's not always true, mm -hmm. right? So until until the door gets shut, keep keep boldly embracing your call. Thanks. Yeah. And just keep saying you're not going to get rid of me. <laughs> well, as long as yeah. they gifts and graces in you, they're not going to get rid of you. Yeah. So I promised a piece of levity. Uh, <laughs> he was looking up jokes on his iPhone. I'm no, sure. no, I was. I, I I had quoted you before when you said. Um, we're a church of grace, grace, and more grace in a general conference. Grace was voted out, and so I was just kind of getting that finished off posting. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, I promised you a bit of levity, and so the, the levity, the little bit of piece of levity I have was I wanted your opinions on uh, on Black Ariel from The Little Mermaid, because that news broke yesterday. I don't know if you saw that. Um, I don't think I had. Yes. I, you know, I was so busy not watching <laughs> TV because I didn't want to see what was going on in some places. Yeah. Disney. So, so tell me about Black. Tell <laughs> Disney. Disney made the announcement yesterday that uh, that Ariel would be cast as a woman of color. Uh, I can't remember the actress's name. Uh, Hallie um, Bailey, I think. Hallie. Oh, okay, okay. They're doing another live-action remake of another one of their movies. Great, great. So, I did. Well, you know, and it's. Okay, that's not levity. Okay, first of all, that is, that is really important because people need to see themselves. People need to see themselves in the heroes and sheroes we lift up. Mm -hmm. And so for black, young girls, teenagers, even older, to see a reflection of themselves in a central character is critical. So that's not levity. Levity. That's not levity. Levity is knowing that we had airports during the Revolutionary War. That's levity. That's levity, yes. <laughs> and I'm so glad that, I, you know, did they 
who was flying British Airways and who was flying American, you know? <laughs> well, I, I think it was those Da Vinci flying machines is what mm-hmm. I think it was. Um, no, but I, I, I mentioned I mentioned levity mainly just because of course all the all the racists are going crazy on Facebook and it's just to see that to see people getting bent out of shape over a fictional character is well, it shows the, le- the, the, the hard work we have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, the United Methodist Church embedded racism in its structure, right? When we, mm-hmm. Well, the Methodist Church, when we became the Methodist Church, it embedded racism. Did we ever, did we ever de- truly deconstruct that? We deconstructed some systems, but did we really deconstruct it? And, you know, we've embedded heterosexism, homophobia for 50 some odd, for almost 50 years. Um, you know, have we? What are we going to do to dismantle that sexism? I can't believe as a bishop, I can't believe as a bishop, I sit around a table and say, we can't appoint a woman to that church because she'll be harmed. We can't appoint a person of color to that church because they'll be harmed. Something's really wrong in our institutional life, and we've got a lot of work to do. And so I know part of what's, you know, for so many, my election. You know, it was a chance for people to see themselves in a place they had never seen themselves. And I don't take that responsibility lightly. You know, I have had people write to me and say, I'm alive because of you and the position you were given. And I never take that lightly. And so how can I make room for others who also aren't seen, you know, so that so that others can find hope and meaning and we can use each other's wisdom our joint wisdom to create something even more beautiful and more godlike for those who will come after us mm. so we got deep again i'm sorry i can, no, that's, I can that's do fine. levity that's i can no, do that <laughs> i abhor pineapple pizza and do think it's an abomination unto the Lord. yes thank you I, oh I, am i in the minority here yeah, yeah. you are but oh, see how well, it feels I, how does I, it feel? <laughs> It feels, Corey. <laughs> it, it feels well-deserved, I'll say that. <laughs> uh, no, uh, as, as you were kind of talking, it, it kind of like, it was it was springing up a few different questions and a few different routes we can take kind of in my mind. You know, the church, the church is in dire straits right now, or the Methodist church, I should, I should uh, clarify. Or the church in general. Or the, yes. <laughs> all of the above. All of the above is in dire straits right now. Um, and kind of the question that I, I'm kind of, I've been grappling with, I've been trying to work through is the question of like, can we truly be a global church in, in the way that our polity requires right now? When, when some of the things that we argue about, some of the things that we vote on, um, we're voting on issues of polity and issues of context that don't relate to us in any way, shape or form. And in turn, we're expecting people from a completely different context to speak into our context and expect there not to be conflict. And so I want to get your take on that. Like, what yeah. does, does our you know, I, need I, really, I really believe in the church universal. I really believe that the United Methodist Church should be a, a strong force witnessing for God's love and through Jesus Christ as a global church. I think our polity currently doesn't allow us to do that well in all our context. So again, while, you know, we come together as a full body at general conference and vote on things, 
you know, almost half of that body goes home to adapt some of that to their context. And so I, the body rejected, you know, the plan that was the, that the Commission on the Way Forward brought forward, that the, that the bishops endorsed, that would have allowed that contextual grounding. Um, until we get over our fear of difference, until we see that uh, we are united, you know, Christ unite, Christ is the one who unites us. It's not our rules. Christ is the one. And until we say, free each other up to do the ministry that will be most impactful in our, each region uh, while still recognizing our unity as Methodists, heirs of John Wesley, um, it, it's we're not going to be able to do that well. So I grieve. I grieve the fact that I really think we're going to have a parting of ways. I, of course, schism is a part of our DNA as Methodists, right? We've you know seen that from our very beginning. And what's happened is it's allowed the various parts that part ways to live more fully into their mission and, in fact, grow for a while. And I I grieve that. I think it, it it's it's a sign of our 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 our, um, our communal sin that we can't find a way forward that frees us to do ministry and to do no harm. Mm-hmm. And and let's be real, this was also really well orchestrated by um, by the Institute on Religion and Democracy. You know the the, the millions of dollars that have been pumped into this campaign for decades. Um, and, and that's something that we don't talk about from pulpits and pews. Mm-hmm. That's, and, and actually, I'm glad you brought that up, the, the IRD, because I, a friend of mine asked our, asked our bishop, uh, Bishop David Bard here in Michigan, whether or not there could be some effort from the bishops in regards to resisting the IRD um, and like publicly calling them out. And and so that maybe that's a question I have for you. Is there is there any conceded effort from from the part of the bishops? I am I am amazed that over the decades that the IRD has been um, a major lobby group that the bishops haven't pushed back more. I'm amazed that UM News Service turns to this non-United Methodist organization to get uh, for, for quotes. Um, instead of turning to those within the organization, uh, even, you know, people will say, well, you know, the reconciling movement is is an uh, an activist group. It's made up of all United Methodists. You know, it's it's not out standing outside the church. The Institute on Religion and Democracy focuses on several denominations to try to influence the lives of those. Uh, you know, if you're if your listeners haven't watched Renewal or Ruin. A 23-minute video. It's it's it was made in 2004. You'll see a few bishops talking about it, mm-hmm. but I am I am stunned that we don't talk about um, the, the harm that this organization has inflicted on our denomination. Right, and and especially when the president is a you know former CIA uh, you know analyst who exceeds information warfare. Yeah, uh, and. How can we not? How can we not just immediately look at everything they do as suspect? But um, Kayla, I've been talking a lot, so I want to know if there's anything you have 
I can't think of much. I'm just happy to listen <laughs> and hang out. Okay. Okay. If you want um, yeah, to butt in or talk over me at some point, please, you know, don't, don't okay. worry yeah. about doing I'll that. feel free to interrupt you, Corey. Please do. You can yeah. interrupt me anytime. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, do so, so let's talk about the Mountain Sky Conference because there's a lot of rumors going on and stuff about um, rumor uh, rumors and just various uh, news reports and stuff about like the the move towards the Mountain Sky Conference kind of going independent or something along those lines. Um, what's going on? <laughs> well, you know, this this conference, this Episcopal area, has been ordaining openly LGBTQ people since 1982. Mm. So, so this is not a new issue. No one's going, oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> and, and this has been a part of the life of this annual conference for a long time. So, for instance, when we went to, you know, when we went to Kansas City, we met as an annual conference towards the end to reflect on what we'd heard and what where we think God is calling us. And someone said, you know, the conversation here is is what we had two decades ago in the West. You know, in the Western jurisdiction, we did our mass weddings in, in the 90s. You know, we did, we've done our resistance. And so we're two decades ahead of these folks. Um, and we're actually in the Mountain Sky area probably a year ahead of mm-hmm. other, other conferences, mainly because of, you know, my, my appointment as bishop of this region. We had to deal with homosexuality in a way that it was never dealt with before. You know, we had to have really honest conversations. My pastors had to go deep in in their preaching because my presence, every time I walked in the room, I was, you know, I represented the the issue. So it was no longer just a, an abstract issue. Mm-hmm. It was, oh my gosh, this is flesh and blood. This is someone who does ministry well. This is someone whom we love. So we are in discernment. And, you know, for me, I want to make sure that whatever we do, I I believe in connectionalism. I believe in outward looking. I believe in, you know, if we're not doing this for missional reasons, then it's not right. And so I want to make sure we do this with what, you know, and we're still trying to figure it out. Right. We're we're making the the road while we walk it. Um, I want to make sure we do it in community, in, in partnership with others. So I, I, I'm working hard that we just don't break the bonds and set out on our own. Because I think we're, I think the beauty of Methodism is our connectionalism. We have discernment. We are in great discernment. But I'm struck. I am struck because I go visit, you know, if you follow me on Facebook, you know, I've been to every corner of my conference. I've stepped in in churches where they burst into tears because they don't have any memory or historical record of a bishop visiting them. I go to these small churches and people are so upset and they're like, Bishop, we can't. We can't be what the general conference is calling us to be. When are we going to leave? And these are tiny rural churches. These aren't just urban center churches. So I'm hearing that across, you know, the four states I cover. And so I'm listening. We're studying. We're praying. Um, and I, I don't know where God's going to lead us. So Kayla and I were talking before, um, before you, before you came on the call, just kind of, 
discussing the nature of the notion of the wide umbrella and the notion mm-hmm. of the the wide, wide birth uh, from which we draw as Methodists. Um, and and oftentimes in you know you, you've seen some of the Facebook debates, you've seen some of the face the nasty Facebook arguments. But sometimes, and I would even say oftentimes, it feels like we don't have any universal language to use. Um, even even the note we talk about Jesus, when we talk about God, uh, will often reveal that in a lot of ways we're talking about radically different gods mm-hmm. and radically different Christs. Um, and so. Uh, Kayla uh, founded a Facebook group called the the Hergle Gurgle Her- Hergle Gurgle Turtle Club. <laughs> that, I have not seen it, <laughs> but it, it's it's purely based on silly polls. Um, oh. and you can say more, Kayla. <laughs> oh, yeah. I well, I started using the poll feature just on Facebook for fun, putting up random things like making people choose between, like. A watermelon or a cat. Um, just two options. Right. No explanation. Right. 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 <laughs> um, and it ended up morphing itself into a Facebook page for people to follow and just answer all the weird polls. Mm-hmm. And I thought about how that could be a way of bringing people together, as silly as it is, as nonsensical as it is, mm-hmm. uh, for someone to, you know, vote and choose the, um, like, the avocado over the desert landscape um and then look and see who else voted with them and maybe see it's someone they disagree with on everything else in their right, lives right, um, right, right and just kind of seeing how we're all human that's right that's mm-hmm. great i love that but, yeah but it's mainly just silliness that's great right mm-hmm. and <laughs> and so so the re- the reason i bring that up is just is just getting up back getting back to that line of like the the wide umbrella seems to be leaking is an analogy well, I've but, used. But why is that? Why is that? I, I think it's, I think one, we are starting to reflect the, we are reflecting the polarization that exists in the U.S. culture right now. Um, there's no, so, and for me, if the church of Jesus Christ cannot show our unity in the midst of our diversity, um, we, we, we might as well lock our doors. Built into the United Methodist way of doing theology is the is the fact that we're going to be different. You know, if we look at scripture, tradition, experience and reason, we can we can be in Bible study together, looking at scripture. We can bring in the church tradition. But once we bring in our 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 experience, that starts the word starts to take root in our lives in a different way from one another. And in Methodism, I think that's been our greatest gift. Mm. And the fact that we we are becoming intolerant of that tolerance. I mean, it was it's a source of pride for me to say the church of Jeff Sessions is also the church of Elizabeth Warren. Mm. That is a source of pride for me. And and I might not agree with Jeff Sessions and his and all he does, but I'm going to recognize him as my brother in not only in Christ, but in United Methodism. Mm-hmm. John, you know, and, and there's a lot of people now discounting experience in, in, um, in our denomination. But you know what? John Wesley, he knew scripture, but it took an experience of scripture for the word to open up, bust open his world. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you look at primary physics, you know, that I, I don't know if you've ever seen his medical book, <laughs> right? He doesn't just write about what he's heard. He actually 
tries these remedies on himself and ranks them. Mm-hmm. And so experience is core for who we are. And yet we've grown to distrust that, certainly around LGBTQ issues. We don't trust what LGBTQ people are saying about our lives, you know, and so, so instead we're, we're, you know, the, the, the dominating culture is, is stating things not based in the lived ground experience that LGBTQ people have with God. And, you know, when, you know, I really believe, you know, we talk about perfecting, uh, the perfecting, justifying and sanctifying grace. You can't tell me whether or not I've moved through that. Mm-hmm. I can. I know. Yeah. Right? I know my walk with Jesus. I know if it's grounded, you know, if it's if it's if I, if I have uh, if I'm moving towards perfection, if I believe I'll be made perfect in love in this life. So but, but we are starting to make judgments on who God does and does not sanctify. Mm-hmm. And that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, the, the kind of argument, if, if you just prayed harder or had a better spiritual life, then God would, quote unquote, fix you. But you know um, what? But that's just it. That's even changed yeah. that. You know, you watch the argument. There's so there's been such a need to control LGBTQ people, right? That that used to be, right? Mm-hmm. First it was a phase. Then it was, you know, if you just pray hard enough, you can pray the gay away. Now mm-hmm. it's like, okay, we get this is who God made you to be, but mm-hmm. you have to be celibate. Because yeah. of course God wouldn't want a, a loving partner in your life. Of course mm-hmm. the God who said it's not right for the human one to be alone. That, that wasn't meant for you, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, 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 um, so we problems with enforcing celibacy, right? um, because also when people are going into ministry, the support of a spouse can mean so much to a person in ministry and to deprive someone of that is awful. It, it is. And, and celibacy is a gift. Mm-hmm. celibacy if you're called to a lifetime of of celibacy it is a gift from god it's not a punishment because of who you are mm-hmm. so yeah. my local church uh first united methodist in oakridge is launching in september kind of at the six month point out from general conference a church-wide like discussion and study on what unity means mm-hmm. um so it's kind of been framed around three weeks, focusing on unity, constancy, and peace oh. from our Anglican roots as Methodists and looking at the idea of unity not being uniformity. Right, um, right. And how how do we get along? And especially at, at my church, which is in a, a scientific bubble in the South and is pretty forward thinking compared to a lot of the other churches in the Holston Conference. Um just kind of trying to decide, considering our environment, considering our context, what what is our church going to do? Who are we? Um, and so we're kind of looking at the basics of who are we and what do we want to do before forcing any decisions on the church. Mm-hmm. That's that. But those are the conversations that are important. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the journey that we're on, right? The destination is going to keep changing is because God, God keeps, we keep growing in our understanding of what God wants of us. Mm-hmm. Right. Faith is not a it's a journey of faith. You know, the destination comes, you know, long after we're wearing this mortal shell. 
most churches don't have the hard conversations. Mm -hmm. I was amazed the first time someone came to me to talk about infertility. I realized I had never talked about infertility, but yet when you look at the number of women, uh, the number of couples who struggle with infertility, um, you realize, oh my gosh, there is a silent group suffering in my pews and I've never offered them the tools of faith or the, the questions and, and hope that faith can offer. Likewise, you know, I had a, when, when my first parishioner that committed suicide, I had never preached on suicide. I finally realized I had to. And the number of people who were carrying a secret shame uh, and, and grief were able to release that. The more we can have deep and honest conversations with one another, the the holier and more whole our uh, our communities become. They truly become healing communities of transformation. I think that kind of speaks to the value of being willing to be vulnerable in your ministry. That's right. That's right. And it's not being vulnerable because I'm going to work out my issues with you, right? Mm-hmm. But it's being vulnerable, saying these are the places I've struggled. This is where God has shown up, and this is where I'm being led. Mm-hmm. And it's say, you know, you're you're on you're on your journey, and 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 how can how can we be how can we journey as companions mm-hmm. to tell people they're not alone? That's right, that's right. There's a lot of people suffering in silence in our churches. I I have spoken of you, uh, and turned people towards our previous or towards my previous interview with you as like an introduction to either my podcast or like what some of the stuff that's going on in the church is about Mm -hmm. because especially with the podcast it's like oh uh you don't you don't like you don't you don't want anything to do with religion because of our stance on uh lgbtq plus um uh rights and everything else um well then you might really enjoy this this interview that i had with our with our first openly uh lesbian bishop and and to to see to see kind of the the reaction that people have had even on church people um just to to hearing the news that you are you are a person uh that you exist uh and then and then they might investigate you they might start following your blog i've heard i've gotten several i've, I've heard several pieces of feedback that kind of to affirm what you said before about people who have come to you and told you their stories. Um, I've, I've heard some of those stories firsthand from certain people. Uh, and so I just want to say thank you for that. Um, and then, I mean, another thing I just want to kind of do is just share a, share a story of, because it's still fresh on my mind about a, a summer camp that I attended two weeks ago. This, this camp is only loosely affiliated with the Methodist Church. Um, but it is a it is a camp called Camp Beloved, mm-hmm. um, and it is a open and affirming LGBTQ plus camp for teens and their allies, um, and it's at it, it's at one of those uh, unaffiliated United Methodist camps, the ones that the conference or the mission or the uh, the camp board doesn't control, right? And so they can't shut down, um, and they do. We we focused on on bringing in kids and hearing their stories and giving them hopefully ways to like cope with uh you know the way the world is uh the way school is and to see and hear the stories from these kids was one of the most incredible experiences Mm -hmm. of my life um because it's 
oftentimes so heartbreaking and so confirming of everything we think, uh, everything I as a straight white man uh, think, well, maybe that's not true. Like, oh, that is true. (laughs) That is true. And here's the face of someone going through that. Yes. Uh, In my own youth group um, and in working with GSTA at the high school next door, I've just been able to see there's so much pain that these kids are carrying around and they shouldn't have to. No, I was just, you know, I was just doing some, some work on a paper that I had to write and, you know, I was looking up statistics on teen suicide and for straight young people, every, and this, you know, using sociological tools, every increase in one's religious commitment decreases significantly any suicidal ideation. Hmm. For LGBTQ people, it's the reverse. In fact, the, the stronger the, the religious commitment, it almost doubles the, the increase. So, so, so the increase in the possibility of suicide compared to their straight peers. I mean, that is like, if that's not a red flag to our church, if we truly cared about our young people, Oh my gosh, we're we're we are we are not just you know the first rule of Methodism is do no harm. We're also not supposed to do mortal harm, and that's what we're doing to our young people. Mm-hmm. It was a shocking reminder to me of the 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 potential for harm we have to, we have to do when. Um, because we hold something so precious. You know, we're talking about people's souls. We're talking mm-hmm. about people's place in the body of Christ. We can do tremendous harm, and we have done tremendous harm. Mm-hmm. And to me, if that's not a wake-up call, whose church is it? Is it Christ's church? Mm-hmm. Truly? I kind of... I wanted to go back to that idea of um, just walking that line. I think, well, Corey brought it up of kind of reaching people who've dismissed the church because the church has dismissed them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that strange line you have to walk when you're LGBTQ and Christian um, to be kind of pushed aside in both communities yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And so I had mentioned that I met you, uh, Karen, that I'd met you at the Q Christian Fellowship Conference in Chicago. And that has been such a meaningful organization Hmm. that I just want to give a shout out to because it includes people from both those walks. Mm -hmm. Um, People who have been marginalized in the church for obvious reasons and people who are marginalized in the LGBTQ community for remaining with a church that hurts them. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, a strange and unique experience to, to try and hold both those identities together. But at the same time, it's not a challenge. Um, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about this in other places. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the film uh, A Day Without a Mexican. It's a, it's a fictitious kind of mockumentary of uh, this fog envelops the border of, of California and all the all the immigrants go missing. 
and California's economy gets ground to a halt. <laughs> not only are there no waiters and waitresses, but there's no teachers and doctors and politicians and, 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 and literally society collapses. Well, you know, imagine a day without a queer in the church. Mm -hmm. no. Or benches would be empty. There's no more organists. Right. I mean, I mean but, you know, and we make fun of these stereotypes, but, you know, there are, you know, organists, choir directors, members of the choir, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, pastors, you know, district superintendents, bishops who would be missing that people had no idea they were even relying on the gifts and graces of on their gifts and graces. Mm -hmm. And how much of a wake up call that would be for the church to realize, you know what? You are who you are because of the joy of the Lord that we bring in. And if we weren't here, it would be a much different scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, LGBTQ people can teach the world a thing or two about what love means. In the face of adversity, mm -hmm. in the face of oppression, you know, like all marginalized people, you know, I mean, Jesus always goes to the margins. So when people, you know, when I was pastor at Glide, people would say, um, you know, how can we be like Glide? I said, you can't. This is a unique space in San Francisco. But go to the margin, find the margins of your own community. Where are people hurting the most? And bring the church there. You don't want to invite them in. You want to bring the church there and have the church be informed by their experience. And you'll be shocked at the kind of ministry that develops at that point. And you'll, you will find great joy and hope and meaning when you do that. Because that's what Jesus implores us to do. Mm -hmm. I think Corey's taking notes again. I am. I'm, I'm quoting you this time, Kayla. What? <laughs> I'm quoting you this time. I'm quotable? Your, your LGBTQ, LGBTQ people can teach people a thing or two about what love really means. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, you made the quote wall. <laughs> it's an honor. So I have just a, about ten minutes. Just. Hmm. So so I guess the final question, then. the final question, uh, and hopefully, hopefully we can end once again with, like, just something very, like, genuinely uh, a true bit of levity um, but the final question that I'll ask is along the lines of where hmm. let's do this as a two-parter uh, where do you hope to see the church in five years the Methodist Church and where do you realistically see the church in five years oh, I, well, I, you know, I can't separate different. my hope from realism Okay, My hope please. is built on nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness. And, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to, what I want to see in five years is that we have, have reclaimed the best of who we are as a movement, that we are on fire with the spirit of God that pushes us out of our four walls and brings a life-changing, life-saving love of God um, into our communities in tangible ways that transform those communities. I'm hoping that we've learned how to live together in spite of our differences so that we can show the world that you that you don't have to be in, in battle with people you disagree with. You can actually be in love with the people you disagree with and still know that there's a greater mission that you're united in. Um, I'm hoping that our, our young people start to teach us in even bigger ways of how to do church 
in this century because I think we're still using old tactics and old systems and uh, from the 20th century that don't work anymore. So I hope that um, that 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 wisdom is brought into our church more fully. Um, I'm I'm hoping that that we create a love revolution both within the church and beyond. Mm. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, and so, actually, Kayla, mm -hmm. uh, champion of the Hergel Gurgle Turtle Club, uh, I want you to ask us a question uh, for for our closing bit of levity. Uh, it could be an either-or type of question, mm -hmm. whatever you want, whatever random bottom of your mind. Okay, just give you a, a poll of two options. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you should choose between... Uh, going swimming in a swimming pool or petting a little lamb? Swimming pool. Mm, good question. <laughs> uh, if it's a chlorine pool, I'd have to say petting a little lamb. Mm. It's a very cute little lamb. Now, that, that was a fairly easy question. Now, here's, a, here's my poll. Mm -hmm. Sharp steam mop or Philip Sonic hair toothbrush? Toothbrush. I'm in love with both of them. I use the toothbrush more often. Sharks just, and mops are amazing. Just amazing. <laughs> uh, for for the sake for the sake of just being uh, for the sake of that, I'll just say the mop. Because <laughs> I, I have my cat litter cat litter boxes right in my main entry, and so I'm. Well, I guess it depends it. what floors you have. Because I have I have carpet mostly in my my home, so I can't really steam mop it. That's true. That's true. But let me tell you, nothing cleans a hardwood surface like a shark steam mop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna find, I'm gonna find their music and put it. Right <laughs> they should be this giving episode. me kickbacks. Yeah, they should be. <laughs> uh, my dentist just gave me free a free Philipsonic hair toothbrush, and I am in love with that. Oh, wonderful! Go figure. Wow, I need I need to find a much better dentist. Yeah, <laughs> no, no longer just that toothbrush and you know travel mini yeah. ounce. Yeah, case. you yeah. got an electric well, toothbrush. Yeah. Well, thank you. Wow. This has been great. Yes, thank you. Good to be with um, you today. Glad you persevered. Thank you for. Thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I'm glad to see you. Glad to see you can see. Uh, I'm glad you made it through annual conference and through everything that's going on, and we wish you all the best. Uh, we are praying for you. Thank you. I will say anyway. Thank you. Uh, and I'll just say, you know, take care of yourself. You know how to do that. But. Thank you. Thank you. It means a lot to be with you both. Thank you. Thank you for your ministries, and God bless you both. Thank you. All right. Um, see Amen. I don't say that. Hey, thanks for listening to the Open Pew podcast. If you enjoyed the Open Pew, you should check out our network, DisruptiveDisciples.com. That's DisruptiveDisciples.com. Want to get involved? Well, you can drop us a line on Anchor. Leave us a voicemail and you might be included in a future show. We would love hearing from you.